This is Conducting Business. I'm Jeff Spurgeon, and this week for Naomi Lewin. We live in a time of remarkable access to new things in arts and entertainment, MP3s, e-books, videos of cats flushing the toilet on your big screen TV, movies you watch on your watch, and yet a lot of time we spend with old stories whose endings we already know, pieces of music whose melodies we have hummed along with a thousand times already. Maybe it's a Seinfeld reunion, the Nutcracker at Christmas time, or a Beethoven symphony. Why is this? And is it a bad thing that we love to hear or watch the same thing again? Joining me is Derek Thompson, senior editor at The Atlantic. He's been looking into this very question. Derek, you chalk up our love of repetition to four human impulses. What are they, and how do they explain all of this desire to hear it or watch it again and again. Well, typically when scientists are interested in figuring out why do we do the same things over and over, they have three pretty good buckets that these activities fall into. The first is average habits, like how you begin your day. Uh, These are automatic parts of our life, and it's good that they're automatic because we don't have to think about them. And so when we develop a habit, say, to work out, that's wonderful because we don't have to spend any mental energy trying to force ourselves to work out. Those are habits. The negative side of habits, which is our second bucket, is addictions. And these are sort of habits on evil steroids. They're habits that become unmanageable. They lead to physical dependence, like smoking or drinking. Separate from habits and addictions, there are also rituals. Rituals like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Hanukkah. Uh, Rituals that we do too infrequently to be considered habits, but we do them after certain intervals, and we have certain things that we like to do during these festivals, during these special times to us. But what these researchers looking at nostalgia, at people re-watching the same movies, re-listening the same music, found is that these experiences that we have with entertainment don't really fit those three buckets. There's something different. And I call it the existential therapy of nostalgia. It's the idea that we enjoy listening to old things because listening to these old things reminds us of ourselves. And are there different kinds of nostalgia, or is it just one major sensation that's going on there? So what I did is I wanted to read this this new paper that just came out in the Journal of Consumer Research and think about all the various reasons why we like to experience old pieces of entertainment. Uh, the simplest reason is that we just liked it a lot. So surely there's a song that you heard, and you just thought that the melody was fantastic, and you wanted to hear it again. Or there was a book that you loved, and the second you finished it, you said, that was such an awesome journey that the author took me on. I just want to go on that roller coaster again. That's a simple reason. That's us reading or re-experiencing, re-consuming a piece of entertainment simply for the immersion, uh, the re-immersion of it. But there's a slightly more complicated reason why we sometimes do this. Sometimes we know the ending. Sometimes the song is completely familiar to us, and the reason that we enjoy the process of rediscovering these pieces of old entertainment is actually that we're not reconsuming the cultural product itself. We're reconsuming, in a weird way, ourselves. When we reread a book, I know that, for example, when I read uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, last year, when I reread that again, the experience wasn't simply me re-going through the story itself with the lion and the witch and the wardrobe, it was also me sort of re-seeing myself and how I've changed in the 20 years since I first read it. And that's what made the experience valuable for me, is that I could experience a bit of myself in the book. 
So that's a little bit of an extension of the idea that you can't go home again. But we try, and when we do, we see that home may be the same, but we have changed. So even the old experiences have something new on top of them. Now, you've talked about three of these four human impulses that are involved in our pleasure in seeing or hearing things again, habits and addictions and rituals. But there's a fourth one that you mentioned in your Atlantic article on uh, status quo bias. What is status quo bias? So status quo bias is this observation that people tend to stick with decisions that they've already made. It's true for politics. It's very difficult to change people's minds about tax policy uh, or cultural issues or global warming. But, you know, one of the, one of the reasons that status quo bias could maybe play a, a small role in our entertainment diet is that, you know, certain people have music habits. We like to listen to certain playlists when we work out. We like to listen to certain playlists when we walk. This is essentially our saying, you know, finding the right song in the right moment is actually a really cognitively costly thing. It's, it's really hard to do. And so if you've found that playlist, if you've made it, if you've taken the time to do it, it's easier to just sort of stick with it. And so I do think that even though sometimes we listen to old music and read old books and watch old movies in order to experience this really lovely feeling of nostalgia, sometimes we do it because we're just kind of lazy and we've already picked out the bright song at the right moment. <laughs> Now, in the case of classical music, one of, the, one of the tropes about classical music is that it is favored by older people. Audiences tend to be older. They, sometimes people come to it when they are grown up a little bit and get interested in something else. But there's also the idea that this older audience is also wistful for a different time, whether a real time or imagined time that was somehow simpler and easier. Does that make sense to you, or do you think that that's a piece of this equation at all? Oh, it absolutely makes sense to me, 100%. You know, one thing uh, that people studying taste uh, have discovered is that our tastes are essentially formed between our early teenage years and our mid-20s. You're talking, about, a, you're talking about aesthetic taste. Aesthetic yeah, taste, yeah, right, exactly. But, okay. it's, but, right, but it can be true of, of food as well. Um, when, when you ask someone, you know, what's, uh, what's your favorite kind of music, it's often the kind of music that they listened to when they were teenagers or when they were in college. And so this could partly explain uh, why older people uh, like classical music is simply that it's the music that they were listening to uh, when, when they were younger and uh, their, their tastes were forming. Um, but separately from that, you know, I listen to classical music on two specific occasions. I listen to it when I'm studying because it's very difficult to work uh, when I have to pay attention to new words. So it's nice to listen to music that doesn't have them. And second, my parents used to play classical music on Sunday mornings. And so the experience of waking up walking up the stairs, hearing classical music coming from our speakers, smelling pancakes, and sitting down to watch Meet the Press is a really evocative feeling for me. And when I hear certain songs, especially some Bach songs, my mind goes back to that immediately. All of a sudden, I'm eight years old again, uh, walking up the stairs and entering my kitchen. And so this example of classical music is actually sort of a perfect window into the experience that people have when reconsuming entertainment. All right. I'd like to extend that a little farther, though, because every year on WQXR, near the end of the year, we hold a something we call a classical countdown. We ask listeners to tell us what they think the best pieces of classical music are. We don't say necessarily favorites. We ask for the best. There's always some debate online about this, um, but every year 
almost every year, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony comes out on top. Now, is that because it's the best work? Or are people just too lazy to find the new best thing or something else that's equally good? Well, this actually gets into uh, a couple other uh, academic questions about entertainment, uh, which is one of my favorite topics in the world, which is that when something is presented to us as famous, uh, we tend to consider it good. But when we don't know if something is famous, our opinions can be totally different. So they've done these wonderful experiments where they present uh, totally meaningless uh, papers, academic papers, uh, to subjects in studies. And to some subjects, they say this was written uh, by a college student. And to some people, they say this was written by a brilliant professor. And simply thinking that this nonsense was written by somebody who was brilliant <laughs> made them like it more. So, you know, it's very, very difficult, frankly, for us to separate Beethoven's music from the universal understanding that Beethoven is considered a genius. Surely, some of his music is just so melodic that it's hard to truly dislike it. It's very easy to listen to. But it's very hard to separate the music from Beethoven from the knowledge that Beethoven is Beethoven. Uh, I'd like to end, actually, this particular point by saying that they are wrong. And objectively speaking, uh, Rhapsody in Blue is the best piece of music to ever have been written. <laughs> You'll fit in nicely with the discussion online we'll have this year for the Classical Countdown, then. Thank you for that little preview of the <laughs> arguments that will no doubt ensue. Now, there's something, uh, if we take this far enough, though, when have we heard or seen something too much? When have we had it with the Christmas story on television? After the 15th year we've watched it, the 25th year we've watched it? Are there any theories about when we get sick of it other than the old theory about the law of diminishing returns, that old economic law? The old economic law, the law of diminishing returns, yes. In psychology, it's called habituation. It's the idea that when we experience something again and again and again, we stop paying attention to it. Sometimes habituation is good. It means we stop paying attention to that awful smell in our home, and we suddenly learn to live with it because it no longer sort of you know, arouses the, the, the worst part of our senses. But this happens with music, too, that we sometimes just get sick of songs. And so as we learn to listen to more music, we develop more complex tastes. But separately from that, I think that even as people like thinking that we want to experience the hot new thing and that we want to be uh, clued in uh, to the hot new music and the hot new movie and the hot new book, that frankly, we prefer the old stuff. It is a fact from musicology that 90% of the time we are listening to music, we are listening to a song that we've already heard. Even though we have more access to songs than we've ever had in the history of the world, and that is hyperbolic, but it is also because of the internet entirely true, we nonetheless choose to spend uh, 54 minutes of every hour listening to music hearing a song that we have already heard before and choosing to not listen to something that is new. Uh, Derek Thompson, what are the things that you are happy to hear or watch over and over? Uh, well, in the piece, I brought up Dumb and Dumber, which uh, I will stick with uh, whenever I see it on television. Uh, other movies that are similar are A Few Good Men, um, As Good As It Gets. Uh, I can probably quote every uh, single line uh, from that movie right now, but I won't bore your audience uh, with it. When it comes to music... I just this morning was uh, on Spotify and was listening to a playlist of late 90s, early 2000s music. And I was having a really, really good time uh, remembering the songs, the frankly not terribly good pop songs uh, that I listened to in the late 90s, early 2000s, and was really enjoying myself. So I also am a, a creature of repetition and find myself listening and re-listening to old music all the time. 
The power of nostalgia is great, and one of the reasons it's so great is that it has so many parts to it. Thank you very much, Derek Thompson, for talking about this with us today. Uh, Derek Thompson is a senior editor at The Atlantic, and he, he wrote a piece recently on why we like the same stuff again and again. Brian Wise is our producer here for Conducting Business. I'm Jeff Spurgeon in this week for Naomi Lewin. Thanks, Derek. Thank you.